Hey, Jake, I like video games. Well, hey, Tony, I like video games, too. Well, welcome, everybody, to another brand new episode of Hey, I Like That Game. We have come from the future to tell you I like that game. (laughs) That was a very good Elvis impression. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I was going to try to do, like, kind of like... um, a theremin kind of singing voice, but uh, it's tough to do in real life. I I went against it and just, you know, alien slash robot. You know, I give you an A for effort, and that's all that matters. Jake. um, Tony. (laughs) uh, Actually, we have a guest, uh, Mason, uh, our friend Mason, who requested this game. I can't even tell you how long ago. Uh, It had to be years at this point requested to do this game. And we're finally getting to it. Mason, how are you, dude? Hey, I'm doing really well. Um, very excited to talk about Perfect Dark today. Nice. I'm I'm also excited to talk about this game. I played the shit out of this game when I was younger. Um, how about you, Mason? Oh, it was one of those kind of like console games that we would hop into and just like waste hours and nights and days and weekends on yeah and did you did you play it tony no so my history with this game is uh nothing like, i played none of this <laughs> game i played a lot of golden eye i played a lot of mm-hmm. golden eye i feel like very nostalgic towards that game in particular because uh I owned it. Like, I didn't have a lot of N64 games. Like, notoriously, I didn't even have Smash Brothers. Um, That was just I never even owned it on the N64. I had, like, Zelda, GoldenEye, and Mario Kart. Like, that was it. Um, So, I I never even played this game at Friends House. So, um, Hmm. it was never something that has resonated with me uh, at all. But, like, it feels close enough to a GoldenEye where, like, instantly picking up like i kind of got it you know yeah um this game's this game's cool but it's also pretty impossible to talk about it without also talking about goldeneye uh rare's yeah. game i think immediately yeah, before this i'm not sure what they made between these two games if anything they threw out a lot of I, stuff with the n64 but this is like an immediate follow-up like style wise gameplay wise graphics wise to goldeneye yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it came out in 2000, uh, three years after GoldenEye. So GoldenEye was 97. They had to have mm-hmm. had some other stuff that came out in between there, but I wonder how much time this team in particular worked on, you know, GoldenEye to this, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. we were talking about this before, so, like, um, for the listeners, we have a kind of a flipped episode here because we actually, the three of us, just sat down and played a bunch of this game together. So we wanted to talk about it while it's still fresh. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that we were talking about was um, this game does, you know, the bones of it feels like GoldenEye, but um, it's feature packed. You know, there's a lot of um, interesting new features that they add to the GoldenEye formula, and it just makes it feel. Uh, really complete and like very like um uh substantial uh uh iteration on that that previous game uh i played a ton of multiplayer um with us uh it was one of those games that like you know someone would have people over like sleepover you know mm-hmm. and you would just play it 
all night in the basement until the wee hours of the morning, just constantly swapping out controllers. Just like easily one of those games that you could just really binge on. And with all the features that it had, you could really kind of play with customization and your setup of the game down to the weapon placements and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It really gave a good replay value. I hadn't played much multiplayer of this. Like, Goldeneye was always more my multiplayer game. It's also tough because like, I don't remember the timeline of everything. I'm a I'm a 91 baby, so Goldeneye was six. I was six when Goldeneye came out and nine when this came out. So it's like I didn't like know the release schedule or anything. Just like I played a lot of Goldeneye. And I remember one time like I saw this game and played this game. And I'm just like, wow, it's like Goldeneye, but like future-y. And I didn't like play as much with friends online, but this is what I played a whole bunch of um, single player. So like I played a bunch mm-hmm. of the... Uh, like the multiplayer versus bots and whatnot but like like the three of us did i very rarely played against other people um and it's just like i mean i know we were chatting about it but like this kind of game just like is so different it like feels different than like our conception of what a first person shooter even just like a shooter is and like what multiplayer is so uh it's like i guess guess like arena shooter is what you were calling it tony yeah like this game feels much closer to an arena shooter Except, like, it's a fascinating mix of, like, arena shooter and, like, attack shooter, action shooter, because, like, in an arena shooter, it's all about, like, speed and shooting, like, rockets or high-powered weapons down, like, corridors and, like, making, like, crazy flick shots and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of elements of that game within Perfect Dark's, like, multiplayer. But at the same time, um, the time to kill is very short with some of those weapons you know like you're yeah. dead instantly like the what was it the far um, the far sight the far sight yeah. shoots through walls <laughs> yeah that thing will dominate you uh, and uh-huh. even even some of the assault rifles and the shotguns like can take you down one shot you peek around a corner in a inopportune time you're dead you know um also, because all the you know weapons, not, not to jump ahead too much, but like all the weapons have secondary fire, right? So that adds to the traps and the possibilities around every corner, um, which also means you can die very quickly, which is like kind of tactical shooter in a way, you know? But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, it feels as a whole more like an action shooter type game since it's like um, more frantic. And all of those elements kind of combine together. Um, and you can just run at people, you know? Yeah. Like, if somebody has a rocket launcher, I can run at you and win that fight uh, where that's usually not the case. There's, like, it, this, it's, it, it, this game was, like, ba- definitely balanced for single player. Um, because when you start going into multiplayer with all the different weapons and, like, alternate fires, even just your unarmed attack the alternate fire for your unarmed attack is that you disarm your opponent and like yeah if somebody has a rocket launcher and you run at them unarmed it's kind of easy just to like you know dodge the rockets unarmed or like disarm them and like you're now you're in a slappers fight um and then yeah with the far sight it's just like especially when you have the bots in and they basically have like hit scan aim when you have the higher difficulty mm-hmm. and it's just like all right i just kind of disappeared from a down down the uh, down the hallway and then I don't know like I think it's like it's especially fun when it's you and your buddies and you're like just throwing the same bullshit at each other 
Um, but yeah, it's like with all the alternate fire modes, all the different weapons, like it makes some uh, pretty um, overpowered <laughs> combinations or just like weapons that like, if you want to play burst your friends and this is on the map, you kind of have to go for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a frantic element to it, but it still has that kind of precision uh, aspect as well because headshots do are essentially instant kills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I was saying for like action shooter kind of stuff where the uh, aim assist is very generous uh, in general. Like you can run and gun very easily, but um, if you did try to aim, like if you held down. Um, I think it was on the N64 the right bumper. Right trigger. Yeah, the yeah the right the right bumper. Um, mm-hmm. You click on that, that brings up the crosshair, and then you can control it and aim at specific spots. And yeah, it did give you that headshot bonus, which is super cool. But like, I don't know. Aiming without two sticks is the most frustrating thing in the world. Um, uh-huh. I yeah. I cannot stand it. The yeah. aggressiveness of the the pull to center after you release the trigger is um, it is not not fun for me. I I miss so mm-hmm. many shots because of that. I hate it so much. There's um, yeah. There's sort of the elephant in the room with Perfect Dark and just shooters in general, console shooters in general, in that they they era. they suck until Halo pretty much. Like Halo makes duels. Like like the Xbox has dual stick. Halo is, like, really the first shooter Mm -hmm. to, like, implement that and implement that well. But, like, pretty much every console shooter prior to that controls, like, shit and therefore has to have, like, this generous auto-aim, this, like, really weird, like, flick to center that Perfect Dark has to kind of, like, accommodate for the fact that it feels like crap to control and try to aim with this scheme. (laughs) To get the best shot to do the most damage was efficiently is you stop your character, you aim for the head, and you shoot, right? And that's a fundamental like difference from a lot of console shooters in general, right, where you're running, gunning, and shooting, and like either aim assist will lock you on or like the bullet spread is um, limited enough where you can do those things, right? But in these games, uh, they do incentivize the the aiming with it it's just frustrating as hell to do <laughs> i just mm-hmm. do not like i do not like doing it and like i tried yeah the, like i tried perfect dark i went back and i played GoldenEye all with my my cool usb n64 controller tried it did could not do it but as soon as we started playing uh, on like the 360 version or whatever together today like having the dual sticks I started to get it. Like, I really, really started to like it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seriously, like, putting in the... Not, like, work necessarily, but, like, kind of setting up the controls in an emulator or the re-release they did for this um, on Game Pass or for the 360 that, like, put in the dual stick control mechanic. Yeah, it just makes it makes it a lot more enjoyable... To, to kind of play around with it. You don't feel like you're wrestling around with Joanna or like she still feels like a pretty floaty character in general. Like nothing has like weight to it. Um, but like, I don't know. The, the, the dual stick, like the 
slight modern conveniences that were added to the re-release make it make it feel good because like on the base release of it like on the emulator when i was playing like it feels it feels off like it feels finicky it feels very stuttery herky-jerky uh and that's mitigated on the on the xbox release we were doing so i think there's been some change made to it just to kind of like tone that down a bit but yeah i know i know what you're talking about definitely like the i mean in, on the n64 version the uh, kind of strafing and stuff was mapped to the c buttons mm-hmm. so you always had to be you had to have a thumb on all four buttons at once because it's like to left to right like, movement was the c button yeah and then uh yeah. forward and backward is the, the stick right yeah, it was up and down, basically. So you had to kind of, I don't know, do this dance of holding all four buttons at once. <laughs> and, uh, God forbid you needed to, like, aim down your sights, right? Yeah, Because yeah. then everything stopped. and the But the C button still impacted you on the aim down the sights, too. So Yeah. Um, I, like, remember was, uh, being good at it, though. Like, I remember, like... You know, those nights that you're talking about where we're playing this, we're playing Goldeneye for a while, like, you know, come our, like, four or five, we're all getting pretty good at strafing and, like, trying to do, like, evasive, evasive maneuvers with each other, too. Like, it wasn't, I guess, like, yeah. I don't know, it's, it's easy to, like, poo-poo in hindsight, but, like, it was just, like, something we had to get used to in the time, and now I think we've been able to, like, standardize video games a bit more in that we've got a better idea of like what works and what works well and consistently and those are implemented across games as opposed to sort of figuring it out yeah it's funny like we've mentioned like this as like a sleepover game you know (laughs) um and it totally is but i feel like i just missed that window because like for me the n64 sleepover games were goldeneye diddy kong racing um Mario Kart I don't know like it, it, maybe I missed the window for for Perfect Dark because by that time I was playing like PlayStation stuff you know like I was having like long JRPG marathons on my PlayStation um, <laughs> or playing Tomba Tomba yeah, that game that game rocks that game's all right <laughs> Shut. I it's think like, you like. I don't remember Tomba. Yeah. I think I did like Tomba. I think I did give Tomba a halo like that game. Uh, a good game. But yeah, like GoldenEye was my more of my like shooter game when we played sleepover games. Um, but this game, I played a ton of single player. I ran through the campaign of this a lot, like the different difficulties. Um, and yeah, so the game, uh, it's got, see, 21 playable missions. I think that's, like, including bonus missions. So there's, like, 17 in the in the base game. Mm-hmm. And Subst- like It has a substantial campaign, but not, mm-hmm. like, overly long either. Like, you can beat this in, a, like, what, two, three hours? Something like that? Like it's yeah, not like, too on, bad. on easiest difficulty, you can fly through. Yeah. And this does the same thing that GoldenEye does, um where increased difficulties don't just like make enemies harder they also add new objectives into the map um so i remember like that was a really cool thing when i was younger i'd start i'd play the missions for the first time on the easiest difficulty and you know you go through and like go to these areas of the map that are you know completely useless because that objective hasn't been activated for you um and then it was kind of like give you like glimpses into what you need to do on the higher difficulties and like i think that's 
really cool. I like that version of difficulty scaling um, that Perfect Dark and Double O and GoldenEye did really well. And like, not a lot of games, I think, match that sort of like scaling in a very nice way. Yeah, you, it just gave you more things to do. It made the level itself kind of feel different enough to encourage you to keep going back to it. Mm-hmm. They also had the. Um, counter-operative stuff too, yeah oh yeah in terms of multiplayer which was a ridiculous game choice uh, but something something worth uh throwing in uh, talking about has any other just... game done counter-operative like multiplayer I'm trying to think i can't it's so like, De- what, like wait death loop isn't death loop that I think so. I've never actually played. I I have it installed. I haven't played Deathloop. Um, but anyway, what counteroperative is is um, one player is just running a single player mission, and then another player spawns in as one of the enemy NPCs. So like instead of just like going against a bunch of computers, now somebody is uh, you know human character and they're running around and like once you kill them, the that player respawns as another AI like later on in the mission. Um, Super, super wild. Um, I I think I played it like once or twice when I was younger, and then we ended up saying like, "This makes it so ridiculous and hard for the one person to like complete the mission. We don't want to do this. Let's just play normal multiplayer again." Yeah, that's. I feel like that was the kind of uh, result of any kind of counteroperative session. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, let's just get back to multiplayer. I guess you, a really creative idea, though. I guess you could say that the Dark Souls games, like all the FromSoft ones, right? You can like summon people, yeah. get like invade your game. Yeah, you know. I guess yeah. There we go. Similar mechanic there. Perfect um, Dark Souls. <laughs> perfect Dark Souls. <laughs> here first. <laughs> Or probably uh, not even first. We're probably like the thousandth. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, um, this okay. is uh, I, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Let let. But let's like talk about this campaign. So mm-hmm. uh, we keep talking about comparisons between Goldeneye and this, or at least I keep doing that. So I, I that's how I keep framing this stuff. And I remember Goldeneye's campaign being, you know. A shallow mirror of the movie, but like not incredibly impressive. I thought like the gameplay set pieces were impressive, but like cutscenes, all that flavor, it was like, eh, whatever. Um, this game has so much personality in its campaign, and I think because it's its own unique IP, it can just do whatever it wants. Um, and I think that was really um, a benefit to this campaign and the story they were trying to tell here. Um, yeah, and reading some of those or like interviews with the devs and retrospectives, they're like, yeah, we wanted to just kind of take our own turn and really make the game that we wanted to. And so, like, so many like off the wall ideas just kept getting incorporated and incorporated um and that's like such a testament to the the actual story and narrative of the game too because it's just it's off the wall but it has its own style and panache yeah 
And I think a lot of that comes down to you know the 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 leading lady of the of, uh, this game, Joanna Dark. Joanna, she's great. I I <laughs> think she's great. She oh yeah. So she, she has like a little accent, but like not really. Like this little short haircut, you know, means business, but tosses around one liners and stuff. Um, she looks a little bit like Nev Campbell from that era, but like a badass super uh, spy instead. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading from her wiki that um, she's an avid supporter of um, professional deathmatch VR. So she was a esports athlete. She says if things would have gone differently, she would have tried out for the Seattle Slayers, which is some sort of professional <laughs> VR team in the in the future in which this game happens. Um, uh, there's a uh, VR boss fight in the prequel Perfect Dark Zero. I think this game, cool. also, this game uh, takes place in uh, 2023, by the way. It does. Uh, this game takes place in 2023, so very. Uh, we we nailed it, folks. The, this is <laughs> got it down to the flying cars. Yeah, right. Cars style. <laughs> this is it. Like they okay. Well, at least they 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 got a few things right. So jo- Joanna was e- into esports. That's a real thing. There we go. Um, <laughs> what else? Um, uh, the president's been replaced yeah. by a clone. Yeah, that has happened several times. We know that. (laughs) The narrative just kind of like starts off with this typical spy thing. Like, oh, I got to break into the evil corporation Mm -hmm. and uh, steal this sentient AI. And it's then the next thing you know, you're at Area 51. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's totally off the wall, but... It does. It has, like, its own character and kind of feel to it because it it's sci-fi with the, the Blade Runner influences and the synth soundtrack. But all yeah. in all, um, it's still got that like rare component to it where it's it's fun. I I want to come back to the, didn't take itself too seriously. I want to come back to the music at some point because you just hit on something like really solid there, Mason. The the synthy soundtrack but mm-hmm. but when when we get to area 51 that's where this game really like pivots like you were totally right it feels like kind of a traditional spy story up until this point and then we get introduced to fucking elvis <laughs> and elvis is <laughs> your traditional alien looking thing you know small but with a giant head gray mm-hmm. but Guys, help me out here. Elvis is so much more than than what that traditional alien is, right? Like, he's like yeah. he's like a little he's a little stinker he's, too. He's a little like Yoda, <laughs> or he's just like a little he's just like a little stinker. Or he's just like has like this voice, like doesn't take things as seriously as you'd want him to. Yeah, he's like zany. Yeah, he'll wear like a, a an American flag vest. Yeah, I love the or, vest. I love that he Donald ducks it too and American. still doesn't put pants on. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> like American flag, one piece swimming suit. Yep, yep. Um, it's just 
it's so ridiculous. And he's like uh, your boy too, right? Like he is like your wingman through some of these missions. It's pretty great. It's, it's yeah, yeah it, it, it's bombastic. It's goofy. Like it, it's um, it's allowing itself to be goofy and make fun of itself, but um, it's still very confident in what it's doing. Yeah, it has this level of awareness and like i think the line that sums it up best is like um at one point you're doing a mission with elvis and you hear uh in the name of intergalactic peace and then his gun goes (laughs) off a bunch like it's just i don't know it it's it knows what it is and doesn't take itself too seriously which i think kind of plays into the charm of it well there's like so i guess like it's built on the skeleton of of GoldenEye, which I think was like you know, loved because it was James Bond and like a pretty cool shooter, what you could really do on the N64 if you wanted to do a first person shooter. But it also just has so many like bits of personality and like weird, like cool uh, uh, like aspects to it. Kind of like, so like in GoldenEye, whenever an enemies were in a helmet, like you shoot them in the head, and it just kind of like tinks off, it doesn't do any damage. Like small little touch but like oh that's that's kind of neat or like when you shoot them in the gun too like sometimes the gun will fall out of their hands or like just like it yeah. takes the shot they don't take damage there's very like involved death animations a lot of times too um it's there's a lot of like personality around the sides that helps bolster it up and like that's definitely built or like incorporated more in perfect dark um and i think that's where a lot of the expansion pack uh, like work has been done so like GoldenEye it, it's only text dialogue there's no um, uh, voice acting there's no cutscenes really just like really really basic stuff in GoldenEye and that's that's built out here and that personality is given a lot more space to shine um, with like the dial- like the voice lines of the enemies like just I don't know and, like I, it's like it's so it, I don't want to say fun, but, like, it's interesting. Like, you shoot an enemy, and then they, like, grab their neck and, like, go down on their knees and die slowly. And then you just go, like, why me? And, I, like, no, fall down. It's great. <laughs> you're, you're totally right, because, like, that like that stuff was really, like, big in this era. Like, you know, Goldeneye had it, but, like, Turok had a ton of that stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Where, like, good animations mm-hmm. and these really blocky figures. And Perfect Dark doesn't, like, take... Like it's still like really muddy texture sometimes pasted onto these blocky figures, but like they had very good animations. There was more of those animations. Uh, it was just like uh, all the little character things, all those little things were just like nice little, uh, just nice little additions. And you're right, like the voice acting does a ton, does a ton in this game to give it like more personality you know yeah. like if elvis didn't have that goofy ass voice how effective would that thing be you know it would kind of fall flat at least to, to me you know mm-hmm. definitely uh and some of the other characters who like um mr blonde mm-hmm. who like turns out to be a sketter in disguise like has this really kind of imposing uh, physical demeanor or animation mm-hmm. on top of like this kind of gruff villainy voice um, and the same for uh, Cassandra the uh, another evil villain 
there's just so much attention to detail and like the like you're saying jake in the corners that just kind of prop it up and give it its own kind of flair mm-hmm. yeah i like it it gives you a lot of it gives you a lot of like uh, leeway and like ways i don't know like ways to approach thing it, like it feels more responsive than than um other actually i don't know like saying that so like we've been saying a lot of nice things about this game and about like the mission structure um and like i don't know like especially at the start of the game i think it it's it's better and as the game goes on like the missions become a little more impenetrable like you don't always know exactly what's going on or what each objective asks you to do um there's a sub menu that gives little like um descriptions of mm-hmm. like okay like you're supposed to for one i can remember from like area 51 is like disrupt the anti-air guns and then it tells you right. like okay there's going to be it just tells you that like disrupt anti-air guns and then what that looks like in practice is you have like a sub menu where it's going to give a like little few sentence write up on that objective and it'll tell you a bit more information of like okay there's like what that means is like there's a terminal and it's surrounded by servers and you need to use this item on that like computer so you know you go do that and you find a certain computer you throw an item on it or whatever but it's not like that's about as clear as it can get sometimes and the game only gives you like one item like okay you only have like one anti-air disruptor fucking dongle so if you just accidentally like throw it wrong or like oh this looks like a computer that i should be throwing it on and then you do that just automatic mission fail um and like that doesn't feel great yeah that stuff sucks yeah that stuff sucks there's a there's a lot of that in the game too like um you can have like with elvis like of course any kind of escort type mission in any game mm-hmm. can go south but he has this tendency to like run forward into situations where enemies spawn and you can't like get to him in time and then he dies and you gotta start over yeah I, I hate that kind of stuff and like I agree that the pathing isn't always super clear in this game but like I'm glad you said something Jake because I always feel like I struggle with that in general in FPS games like FPS um single player focus stuff that's not like giant open spaces like a borderlands like ones that are more like focused narrative stuff um i will sometimes miss the critical path and i just don't understand how i miss that stuff but that that happened to me quite a few times in this game um and there are several times where i'm like you know what i'm just gonna watch somebody beat this level and i'm just Mm -hmm. gonna copy it so i go to the next one you know like i'm not i'm not above doing that on these type of games but i also i feel like i'm uniquely bad at that in general but it's good to hear other people struggled with it well i think there's like there's some things that are even like almost completely completely impenetrable like i'm now i'm remembering another one and looking at the episode uh, not episode um mission list um the second last mission when you're on the skedar ship so you get um yep taken hostage and you're on on the ship and like the first objective of uh like disable the shield 
there's no clear indication what you're supposed to do. The description in the submenu just says, like, yeah, just lower the shield so Elvis can come help you. And, like, you start in the small, like, jailish area, then you go down into a big hangar area that has a lot of extra doors around and, like, a locked path. But, like, right at the very beginning of the mission are these three computers. And since you're on an alien ship <laughs> for the first time, they look different than any other computer that you've seen. So there's not, like, a lot of... There's no other uh, like frame of reference for it, and you need to blow up all three of those machines to disable the shield. And yeah, like unless you look up somebody doing that, or just knew it already, or like trial and error, like eventually you just did it from like sheer not knowing what's going on. Um, yeah, that like that sucks. Like when that sort of mission design makes it difficult or impossible to figure out what to do next to progress. Um, that's when it becomes negative. And I think I think we'll have to get to it at one point, but um, I don't love Rare as a developer and their, like, collect-a-thon mentality. Um, like, especially with their platformers. Like, I, I've tried Donkey Kong 64 and slid off. I've, I haven't oh. tried the Banjo games yet. I, I bet Donkey they're Kong okay. 64 is their worst one. Donkey it's just Kong like... First, it, it's... Banjo, Banjo One, and Banjo Tooie, um, are 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 good. I don't like those type of games either. But um, if your only connection to rare type stuff is that uh, Don Kong sixty four, like that's that's not a good example. It's it's a bad one. But the the example for for like it, how it relates to their uh, mission design or like what their objectives are for Perfect Dark and uh, 007. It's like sometimes it feels like they get a little too, a little too clever, like a little too collectathony. Like they want to add like a bit too much in there, and then they like stretch the, just like stretch the missions too thin, and like what you need to do within it becomes kind of like a, a, a more difficult to nail down I'm, I'm being super fucking vague right now i can't quite figure no, out what i'm even it's, trying it's, to say it's like the last mission too so the skedar yeah. ruins you have to put transmission beacons on holy pillars and didn't did those pillars change every time you reran the mission or was that am i going yes through? okay that was a, no no they totally did they would rng like that um, that sucked i beat the final boss three times but I never actually beat the final mission because I never successfully put all the transmitter on the, the fucking spikes. So it's just like <laughs> it's like it, that's where it feels like just have it be one pillar or like you don't need to have this like weird esoteric objective on the very last mission of the game that makes it so frustrating when it should be like the epic conclusion like the exciting like finish of the game it shouldn't be like i've i feel like i've walked everywhere on this entire map and i don't know which one of these pillars is supposed to be sacred or not right yeah that opaqueness like definitely i mean uh lended itself to the times too i feel like because that was like the strategy guide era as well right yes like, yeah yeah if you didn't buy like like you because it was early days of the internet too right it's not like we had anything but cheat CC. Um, <laughs> oh, geez, so, just like all like, the memories is flooded back from cheat CC. <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a. It, I mean, even down to like the story where it's like I don't know. It ages kind of nicely because it's like a corrupt 
corporation that's actually being led down this path by an, an evil alien race and you have like oh they're all you've got a corrupt nsa uh nsa agent who's trying to sway the president and clone him and then you get in this intergalactic war between these uh civilizations and it's just it's so silly but it, it works it does. it's letting the corporations off the hook though mason it's saying that the corporations <laughs> are led by aliens when it's just greed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's the you know the all good private non-government institution that's running things as well and coordinating the uh, the peace treaty between the yeah. Who do we aliens and humans? For? It's just like, like you get in the cutscenes, you like sort of figure out what's going on. Like we're working against Data Dine for some reason, and then like all of a sudden, like oh, here's my buddy. His name's Elvis. He's an alien. Um, I'm an alien guy. Like we do, we do peace summits now. <laughs> like and I'm like, excuse me, what? I thought we were like just like spies. <laughs> as soon as Elvis enters the picture, it's like, okay, now it's just about these two people doing whatever they want to do. I guess. <laughs> yeah, we, just, we justify and... them staying together for as long as possible. And some of the stuff that Rare, like, again, in reading some of these retrospectives, the things that Rare was, like, thinking about putting in, like, going back to the expansion pack, because that, that shipped with Donkey Kong. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much had to incorporate the expansion pack. I don't know if you remember playing it without it, but it was just basically a single level and uh, it was like four by three letterbox, like oh. black dark edges around it, and there was no single player. And you had to buy the expansion pack to unlock it, but it, there is all of these other things that Rare was going to incorporate that they ultimately didn't. Like apparently there was a disk drive version of the N sixty four. Oh yeah. Oh cool. yeah. So that would Perfect Dark was supposed to be for that and they also wanted to incorporate online play and again this is like 2000 right like mind-blowing stuff that they're just they really just shot their shot um and it kind of landed one of the other things that i found totally crazy that they were planning to do was do you remember the game boy camera oh yeah. yeah Yeah, well, they were they had this whole thing where they were gonna incorporate the Game Boy camera, where you could like take a picture of your friend and scan them and put their face in the game <laughs> as an avatar. I mean, and then Nintendo of America said no because uh, Columbine and like the school shootings and stuff. Uh, and so, that, yeah, it's just the that's that's what I mean. That, like, it's such a interesting like snapshot of time uh, life yeah. in, in 2000 yeah, the, right the time is shaping times and culture shaping and, stuff but you know if that ever would have came through the very first thing that would show up is just a giant dick on somebody's face like their face model <laughs> would just be somebody's dick like instantly that is the very first thing that would show up <laughs> <laughs> R- rule 34 <Yeah>. right? <laughs> instantly <laughs> That's no fair nipple face is banned <laughs> yeah um, like, we we have been heaping a lot of praise on this game I, I'm glad 
I'm glad we've done that, but I, I do have to say, again, like, I've been framing a lot of my commentary comparing to Goldeneye, but I really do believe this, that the way that Goldeneye represents health in shields in multiplayer and in single player, but like specifically in multiplayer, the way that they visualize it with the two different color bars on either end of the screen, right? That mm-hmm. stuff. Um, way easier to read in a moment and like allowed me to leverage that more strategically. I felt like Perfect Dark with its weird kind of bars at the very top of the screen, but nothing else, you know, on your screen, only at the top there. Um, I really struggled understanding when I was in danger versus not. Plus, like, it had that section on the the lower right with the bars that represented like your your clip size like what what do you have in your clip to reload and all of that and like i i appreciate that as an idea if reloading was like way more important or like caustic i guess or like, like if it cost you more to reload in this game maybe it would make more sense for more ui to take up that space but i, I just didn't i didn't get why they just didn't do numbers or something instead there. I don't know. I feel like I'm nitpicking that stuff at this point, but like, I just did not, I did not love how their UI showed up in like its position. And then like the contrast of the colors was, it was hard for me to read. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I'm alone in that, but like the flat colors against, you know, the levels themselves. Sometimes I just did not even, I, I could not read it easily, you know? I definitely think that the um, agree with you that the health and stuff is kind of misrepresented, um, especially with shields. Um, and it's even hard to tell, like um, when you're an enemy, like how much shield your well, how much shield your enemy has. Yeah, you shoot like does red mean a lot? Does green mean a lot? You're not really sure. It's not really communicated. That, yeah. That's true. Like you do when you're shooting an enemy, you see a representation around them. Uh, in a color that's supposed to tell you how much health they have, or like when they're going to die, but it's not immediately clear what means what I'm still confused on like what, um, what is like the highest amount of health to the lowest? I, I don't know. It, it was very um, murky for me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like a couple times where you encounter like an impervious NPC I remember, like, specifically in the, like, after Air Force One crashes and you fight against the, like, the NSA guy. It's like, I remember, like, unloading clips yeah. into him being like, this shield's not going down. What the hell? Because <laughs> it's like, I, yeah, I don't, there's no, there's no indication of what, what the enemy health is and, you know, like, the ammo bar and health. Like, you want to be able to see that and tell what it is immediately at a glance. And it needs a bit, you need to, like, yeah, squint your eyes, kind of, kind of look a bit more, a little harder, with a lot of these UI elements. Some of that's like the the struggle of developing in the times. You know? Oh yeah, I do really like that the um the menus are are diegetic. Like she has like a like a virtual like projector on her ear, or like when you yeah. go up to a screen and it like hollow projects from the screen. Um, I think that's a cool detail. Another thing that was kind of difficult to deal with was, pick, Jake, you had mentioned this, picking up weapons. 
Like mm. they were very, you had to make very precise movements. Um, you could walk over something and not necessarily pick it up. It um, feels like the mm. character model's foot has to hit the gun model on the floor. It seems like that exact. 100%. And that's also the same with like falling damage too. Like you could just find yourself. Uh, I think it's in the final mission where you're like crossing a, a ravine. And if you don't do it just right, you'll get sucked down mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no there's no way to climb back up it's just like instant death i hate i hate any game that has that any first person game if you can like fall off something and just die i hate that oh hate it so much that's why i really hated that pipes map when we were playing multiplayer yeah, fuck yeah. Pipes. yeah. man fuck pipes yeah that- it, it, you come at me, haters. Uh, if, you think, <laughs> if you think pipes is good, I would love to understand because that map blows. Sorry, it does feel like the better level design is is earlier on. Um, like I think starting at the crash site, um, the, all those missions start to get pretty difficult to determine where exactly you're going. Everything looks pretty samey. Um, I like that there's a lot of difference in how the game looks from mission to mission, but like when you're in the like, uh, the tunnels or the hallways of the Pelagic, Pelagic, like the, the underwater base, like things start to really look pretty similar um, when you're on a Skedar or ship, that penultimate mission, that was a lot of just like running around pretty seamy looking buildings and trying to track down that exact room, that exact item that you are supposed to interact with. Um, mission complete music, very good. Oh yeah, all the music's good in this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the soundtrack is fantastic. It, like, I still think a lot of the sound effects and stuff from GoldenEye like hits harder for me in the nostalgia bits but that i like a lot of the sound effects in little musical hits the um the back the, like the soundtracks from most of the levels hit pretty hard for me too it's mm-hmm. it's good this one's it's it's pretty good it's pretty good yeah the the weapon sound effects are are very cool everything sounds appropriately futury if it needs to um another like so uh when you reload in golden eye every single gun has the same reload animation it just kind of like lowers out of screen then comes back up completely reloaded um every gun in this game has its own reload animation that's completely unique um and like has a lot of cool personality i think we all talked about how cool the um the calypso is yeah that reload animation you basically <laughs> like it's almost like it scans like a magazine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the cyclone. Cyclone, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the calypso. Uh, that one is like it. It's like you feed it these little like orbs, like your real yeah. alien uh, mm, assault mm-hmm. rifle. That like we haven't really talked a lot about like our favorite weapons at all, which I would love if we if we want to segue segue yeah. into that. Um, oh yeah, because I like. I love the weapon suite in GoldenEye. Like, it, it encompasses a lot of different stuff between, you know, mines, shotguns, sniper rifles, assault rifles. It, it covers all of those bases. But this game instantly makes all of that um, 
just just way better in that all these weapons have secondary fires, right? Yeah. So not only yeah. do they have more weapons and some like very inventive weapons, but then there's the alt fire on top of that, which just adds more layers to all of your combat scenarios. So like I really like the laptop gun quite a bit because it's like uh, a pretty good assault rifle plus secondary fire is a fucking turret. <laughs> like it's so good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. It's, yeah. You just toss it on the wall and it sticks. Yeah. Right? Uh, I, I love all of the Mayan weapons mm-hmm. because, um, and again, like reading back some of the, uh, uh, dev retrospectives um, they had mentioned that they're kind of marine life inspired and aquatic and you can see all of that detail in every single one of those Mayan weapons like the Phoenix, the Callisto and the uh, the Far Side of course which deserves its own section yeah. because it's oh, just yeah. such a ridiculous weapon right so cool like Th- those weapons like, let's throw x-ray scanning on top of a one hit Dude. yeah uh, kill rifle yeah the, the all those weapons have like jellyfish or stingray like vibes or even like the far side almost has like what is it like a sea urchin like tip to it where it's all like <laughs> spiky um mm-hmm. but yeah th- so th- cool. who who thought the far sight was a good idea my god Fuck that weapon, especially when I mean it's a super cool idea as long as you're not playing against somebody who has it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, let's throw an X-ray scanner on this thing and uh, target tracking too, right? So you don't. It's just the camper's uh, wet dream. Camper's camper's delight. Um, I also really like the dragon. Dragon's pretty great. Like. The Super Dragon specifically, because it's like a rocket launcher and an assault rifle, which is like, I, what? That is the perfect weapon for me. Just give me that, and I'm and I'm happy. The Phoenix also yeah. excellent weapon. Yeah, with the secondary fire of explosive shells, yep. and like all of these things have like their own kind of quirks and different elements to them. Yep. Slayer, don't forget the Slayer. Nikita, Nikita oh. missile, fly by wire. <laughs> I lo- like, I love that it's there and that people can use it. But man, not great. I, uh, I, I love the fly by. Anytime you get to control a rocket in a game, I love it. Um, they're, they're rarely good, or like they rarely contribute to me uh, doing well in games. But I always love being able to control. Uh, so the Slayer is cool for that. Um, I I like the Phoenix. I just love the exploding rounds. Um, like, as a concept for the gun, I think the Mayan weapons, like, just look super cool. And that reload animation where you just, like, put an orb into it is the coolest thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that little, like, just, like, little explosions off of every, every shot that hits. So cool. That'll also detonate other explosions mm-hmm. too. So like, there's enough of the like physics that were put into this game as well that like, I don't know, give you another layer of respect for it. Yeah, yeah. It, like, I just love the fact that there's so many new and inventive weapons in the, in that are like unique to this game, and then they have all the GoldenEye stuff in there too. It's all in there. You know, like you can play with a clob 
in that game, you know? <laughs> if you want, I don't know why you would. I don't know why you would want to do that, but you can. <laughs> um, yeah. And all of those maps are recreated. Like, that was super fun. I actually really, really enjoyed being able to play on, like, Temple and, what, Facility. Um, there's one other one that I'm forgetting. Um, Complex. Complex. The Monolith. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. Because, like, the uh, those 007 GoldenEye maps, they are, they are iconic. I think they were even iconic at the time. And had the good sense to just, yeah, use that, use that work they already put in there and incorporate these maps that people would love already. Uh, another, another detail I, I love, um, especially when I was younger, uh, that the, uh, like over, there's like an overworld map in this, like you can walk around the Carrington Institute, um, between missions. There's like a combat simulator where you can practice movement and whatnot. And then there's a shooting range where you can, do uh just trials with every single weapon in the game and that's a super cool way of just being able to like fuck around with everything and the alternate fire and kind of it will uh you know have the challenge have the targets pop up in a way that almost is conducive to the primary or alternative fire of the weapon so it gives you a bit of uh you know cool stuff to play around with there and then what really blew my mind when i was younger is when the um last missions of the game the Institute gets attacked. So I just remember when that mission started, I was just like, I'm in here and there are enemies now? Whoa, this is the most crazy thing that's ever happened. That that mission's cool. You have to defuse the bomb, right? And so you're running through the space that you're already familiar Mm -hmm. with, saving hostages and stuff. And I think that's when they introduced the combat boost, which is, again, like another thing. Like, hey, what if we just let you slow down time for a little bit yeah how would that happen how would that work out yeah, but, and how many games added that in later you know mm-hmm. right i don't know if this is the first game to do that but it had to be one of the earlier ones to do that yeah i feel like i don't know i don't think this game gets enough gets enough credit I don't like. I don't want to be like hyperbolic, but this is just like a better Goldeneye. Like I don't know why everybody talks about Goldeneye so goddamn much when Perfect Dark exists and is better. <laughs> I I think it's like the the time that it like in the time in which that it hit. Like I don't know. Like like I said, I moved on from the N sixty four well before this game came out. Mm-hmm. You know, but that was like that was me and my own personal experience, right? But like maybe there's a lot more people like me, you know? I was I was deep into PlayStation at this point. Deep. Deep. I was I was still on the 64, but it also came out at a time that Nintendo was just a powerhouse, right? Like I'm looking at the game, the top games of that year for the N64 and it's Pokémon Stadium, Majora's Mask, Pro Skater. Like those all sold. Those are, those, those are some pretty pretty pretty. That was games. all the same year. <laughs> Holy shit! Okay, yeah, maybe that's <laughs> because I did have all the Pokemon Stadium stuff, and I had Tony Hawk because like Tony Hawk was just a better game for me at the time. Yeah, yeah. It is tough uh, when the best game for the N sixty four, the Pokemon Stadium mini games, came out also this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was a, it's also a time when Nintendo was doing 
cool like taking kind of cool steps and cool leaps like with pokemon stadium where you could transfer your characters oh yeah and and like that was really on display with perfect dark because there's just so many levels of customization in the multiplayer that really give you that replay value yeah i i was not expecting when we were playing today uh I, I got like a pop-up message saying, Hey, you unlock this in multiplayer. Like you can customize your character with this. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like I just did, I didn't even expect that to be a thing in this game. Um, and I think it like really circles back to what I was saying early on in this episode that like it took this solid foundation of golden eye and said, okay, but what if we add more weapons, more maps, more dynamic combat bots, more things to unlock just like more stuff you know it's it's really quite impressive it's really quite impressive yeah yeah it is cool it's cool what they got got to do what they got to build on uh what the expansion pack offered to this game yeah it makes perfect dark i think better than 007 goldeneye and uh you know what perfect dark's also better than what Perfect Dark Zero. <laughs> so I played, I played yeah. a bit of that game, um, sort of in preparation. So I, I bought Perfect Dark Zero because um, I got, I don't think I got it like right at launch, but maybe like six months after I got a 360, and Perfect Dark Zero, you know, one of the launch titles with it, and of course follow up to one of my favorite N64 games, uh, went went for it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely got syndromes of. This is a launch title. It's very restrictive. Um, animations aren't great. Doesn't look very good. Um, it has like early 360. Like everything's like really too shiny and like flat textured. Um, the other thing that like really bites about it is that it does have like cool weapons, cool equipment and stuff like that, but it limits your slots so you basically have like four slots that you can fit guns into, uh, like a pistol is one size, uh, like rifle, shotgun is another, and then like bigger weapons, like a sniper counts as like three or something. And I think there's like um, like a plasma weapon that takes up all four slots or whatever that you get in the end game. Um, but like one of the things that's cool about N64 Perfect Dark is that you get to mess around with all these sweet sci-fi weapons and like have your arsenal like build up throughout the mission. Um, and when you have to like manage an inventory and you're sort of always faced with like well what's going to be better like picking up this gun that looks sort of neat or just staying with my shotgun assault rifle uh combination that i know is going to be practically the most efficient going forward for pretty much every situation so it like it kind of cuts you off from being able to explore with the game through that inventory system and um it, one of the things that also kind of sucks is joanna's a lot weaker of a character too um especially with like one of a couple of the villains there's just some uh stuff that just didn't really age well some unnecessary sexualization um and stuff like that that's just like you know we had a good character that like you know was female i guess like i don't know hot in the n64 sense but wasn't like objectified or like sexualized that way I, I, I completely agree, actually. I was going to say, like, yeah. Joanna is, like, 
Um, she's like confident, but she's not like overtly sexual in any of these things. I feel like, you know, um, and I, yeah, I, I have heard that the other games do not handle it as, as well. I think it's because they decided to make her a redhead. She's clearly a brunette in these games. They're like, no, no, no. <laughs> as soon as they make her a redhead, it goes all downhill. Well, left, then, like, left I was alone. telling you, like, the VR boss fight, like, the person you fight against, so, like, it's just out of nowhere. You walk into this room, and there's, like, this very orientalist trope bad guy that you come in who, like, really sucks, and then his daughter arrives in the most outrageous mid-2000s unnecessarily sexualization, like, what the hell is she wearing sort of outfit? And it's just, like, man, like, so much writing like it's the, the writing and like characterization went so downhill between those two entries and yeah perfect dark zero it was it's interesting it had the uh unfortunate status of being a launch title which you know there's a lot of learning within a console generation that they don't get to benefit from um so it's like an unfortunate circumstance that that game's kind of a mess but um yeah, there hasn't ever, never, there's never really been a follow-up. Perfect Dark has just been its own little thing. This game that I really loved for the N64 that kind of has just sat there untouched. Yeah. The, was the Perfect Dark Zero after the Microsoft purchase of Rare? I couldn't I remember. I so. Because I think they purchased yeah. it so they could, like, have games for the N64 or uh, mm-hmm. have 360. The, the back catalog. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they had like the rare replay well, that, and what else did they make? Banjo, Tui, Nuts and Bolts. Banjo. Yeah. yeah banjo, they also messed up. Uh, they also messed up Conker's Bad Fur Day. Oh yeah. Like I the, remember the second re- redo of that. But uh, yeah. I, didn't they also move to third person in Perfect Dark Zero? Was there a third person element? There to was well? like third person vehicle segments and like a dodge roll that would make the the camera zoom. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was cover too. Yeah, third there was cover um, that would like bring the camera out, but like implemented pretty <laughs> pretty haphazardly. It's just like not always uh, easy to tell what parts of the level you can use as cover, or, like when it's important to to use cover i don't know i didn't play a lot of a lot of zero it's just yeah, it, i didn't either it's, it's, oh, it's first person shooters are so difficult to describe like the game feel and like even identify like what causes one to feel better than another um i mean i, I don't know that's just kind of the difficulty of i think uh criticizing these games um. Well, anybody else have anything else to say about this one? I, I'm ready. I'm ready with my verdict. <laughs> uh, well, guess guess uh, first. Yes, Mason. Uh, uh, it's definitely uh, I like that game for me. Yes. All right. Yeah, it's uh played such a important role in my like uh, adolescence that like. Yeah, it was one of those games that got me further and further into video games. And and it stood up, you know, it stood test of time, you know, like I, this. Is a, hey, I like that game for me as well. Um, I really, I came into this thinking I was not going to like it at all. Um, but 
aside from struggling with the controls when I was playing it, like as it was originally um, released, um, I really liked what they were doing with the character of Joanna Dark, like the goofiness they were having, the sec, like all the secondary fire stuff on the weapons, like the amount, like I was, like I've been saying, like the the increased amount of features that they added to, you know, GoldenEye essentially. Mm-hmm. I was very impressed with that. And then playing it today with, you know, proper two stick control. Like I still thought like some of the, the weapons were not very well balanced. I mean, like there was things that like frustrated me, like the spawn. We didn't talk really at all about how bad oh, yeah. spawning <laughs> is in multiplayer <laughs> and how bad the spawn camping can be, especially when you, when you have bots, um, that part sucks. But <laughs> the fact that you can fill out matches with bots is awesome by itself, you know, like, so the, it, there's a lot of give and take. And I, um, often feel like the game gives more than it takes. So, uh, yeah, perfect dark. Hey, I like that game for sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll complete it. Hey, I like that game. Uh, it was, it's, I like, I played this game a lot growing up. Um, I had a lot of fun just like fucking around in the big open world sandbox levels. Um, even if I wasn't playing on the hardest difficulty, just like going across and like seeing every every nook and cranny of of the levels. So like this game meant a lot to me. Like a lot was like a lot of memories flowing back as I was playing it. Um, still, a, still, a, hey, I like that game for sure. But there's a lot of like frustrations that uh you sort of forget with time not just the controls that you were talking about tony but also the um the kind, of, kind of annoying aspects of mission completion uh criteria that i mentioned earlier and just especially later in in the game some of the missions are just difficult to navigate and a lot of backtracking like what have i been here before you know shooting the side of the the wall so i can like keep track of where i've been or not um which like doesn't feel great but um on the whole game still feels great uh you know story and writing are top notch for the for the era and um a whole lot better than some games now uh it's a neat game it's a lot of a lot of care a lot of detail and uh, a lot of a lot of cool stuff well great um really like that games hey that's that's pretty pretty (laughs) good consensus um, I think that will do it for the top part of the show here. Uh, we are going to talk about the other games that we are playing right now. We just wanted to flip the script on our normal structure here, but uh, keep everybody yeah, after- on their toes. Well, should I talk about the game that we're playing next? I, 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 we're on. No, we got to do that territory. in the next part, Jake. Okay. That's, the, that's the tease. <laughs> My God. Wait, and then I talk about. Which this turns into a car podcast for the second part, right? First, plug your stuff, <laughs> but don't actually go. <laughs> Break. Wait, say something about Squarespace. Uh, stamps.com. What? Have you ever wanted to send mail? I can't remember the last time either, but stamps.com. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we're, on a, I, we're already in break. I have already cut all of this out.
we're back. Hey, I like that game. Uh, let's, Jake, let's talk about what we've been playing. It's been a hot minute since we put an episode out. Yes, um, yes. I've got a bunch of games that uh, I've played in that meantime, but there's one thing we haven't talked about since the last episode. Mm-hmm. That is Evo, my friend. Evo Her- Evolution Fighting Game Tournament. Evolution uh, 2023. Tony and I had been talking about going for a, a long time, and uh, this was our first time finally finally pulling the trigger and making it making it happen. And like, uh, literally yeah. a literally a dream for me. Like I have been watching Evo for a very long time. I have always wanted to go. Um, like I have so many vivid memories sitting in front of my computer watching Twitch streams of Evo <laughs> and getting fucking hype. And it was just so, it, it was a dream come true for me to go. Um, and it was even better because we got the crew together, me, you, Jake, um, and our friends, uh, Chris and Keith. And then we met up with like a bunch of other people while we were down there. Like it was just, it was nice to go down there and have a bunch of people to like chill with, Mm-hmm. Have some have some fun and play a bunch of fighting games, you know. Yes, uh, Tony, you played Street Fighter Six. I did play Street Fighter Six. Yes, I played um, Tekken Seven. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Tekken Eight finally got its launch date. So this was the last time Tekken Seven's at Evo. Um, probably officially, I doubt they would have would it think. in next year. <laughs> yeah, nah, <there's> no <laughs> with way. Eight coming coming out uh, in January. Um. But yeah, it was it was super cool. I I had uh, initially no intention of actually playing a fighting game there. Um, I got I I guess for lack of a better term, kind of peer pressured into it. Um, but I'm not I'm not sad. I did. It was um, I'm not like a huge fighting game guy. I appreciate fighting games. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Academically, I think fighting games are like interesting, like frame data, advantage states, uh, like footsies and stuff like that. It's like it's very cool. It's so much more involved and in depth than other types of gaming, uh, which is neat, which is why I respect it. And it's just why I'm like not great at it. Like I I don't put in the work like to study the like muscle memory to like really nail those things consistently enough to like be a good fighting game player. Um, so like the month before we went, it was, I had to play video games in a way that was completely different than how I normally play video games. Um, I feel like I got a hell of a lot better at Tekken 7. I think I went from casual to beginner. I think it's sort of the evolution. You you got pretty good. Like you were beating me at Tekken, which like hadn't really happened before. Mm -hmm. Um, like you could tell, you could tell like. You have wrapped your head around the fighting game concept, you know, like you knew how to get better and how to like execute a game plan to win rounds. Like you, like you could tell you had that stuff down pat, you know, but then it's just like the thousand or so hours after that, that you just have to like grind it out. Yeah. it's And then it's just like execution and mm-hmm. reaction and all of the million other things. Yeah. But I went two and two. Yeah, like you, you did pretty <laughs> solid. You did one of the best out of all of us. You know, like you did better than me. I, I like won on a technicality and won on me being nice 
see somebody. We had a I won. I won on two technicalities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you had the most BS. So I, I know you you talk about it with a, a, a slight degree of humility because it happened to you. So I'll get heated on your behalf. Uh, you got robbed a fucking game. You had somebody dead to rights, absolutely beat, and then controller disconnect happened. And they ended up, I don't know if it was the, I think it was the official rules, but like resetting the set. And they 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 took that. They that kicked match. my ass. But like, because yeah, like you, well, I had them. I did like have like that them. Is, ha- is true. I like did. you had it. Yeah. You I had that them. first set, and then like something, some bullshit happened, and it wasn't your fault, and then that win got taken out from you, and like, I don't know. I it's think funny. I think it was on. I think the guy unplugged his controller on purpose. I'm going that no, far too. <laughs> no, because no. because like yeah, that yeah. should happen on stage at Evo during day on the finals. You know, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. shit happens um, in this modern era of fighting games. So it was just really, really unfortunate timing. But like whatever. I also I didn't think I was gonna make it like out of pools or anything. Like I I know I am a just like an appreciator of fighting games more than anything else. So like, I wasn't going to like make a fucking stink about it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, Eva was sick. And the fact that, you know, we had project L there, which was excellent. Watching people play that was super duper fun. Um, The little arcade pit area where you could sit down and play a multitude of different fighters. Like I, I had a great time with that. Um, and silent scope <laughs> silent scope was there oh, and like um, yeah. so many different fighters from like all different types of generations I really also enjoyed like the, the artist corner and like where they had all the shops and stuff like I bought so many stickers and some t-shirts and just a bunch of stuff that was really cool I got I picked up my new fight stick that I'm like super jacked about that's like really cool like ah, oh, it was great awesome time 10 out of yeah. 10 would would evo again would like to evo again and even just like watching matches and just like getting excited with everybody um because I, I was there with, uh, my wife and a couple of her friends came with us and during the the finals day i popped back in the room for a little bit and we were kind of chatting and they were like oh it's like the person you're rooting for win it's like i wasn't really like you don't really like root for anybody like you might have like a player or two that you're like really into and you'll root for them but like in general, people just get like hyped. Like we're all we all really like video games, and we all get really excited when something cool happens in one of the games. So it's like, yeah, people are like cheering for certain other like certain people. Like everybody was booing Leffen, which like was fun, uh, yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But it's like everyone's just like, yeah, video, video games, they're so cool. Well, like, like, look at we, how like skilled people can play this stuff. Right, it's like we all appreciate the skill. We all know how difficult it is to do the things that they're doing, you know? So there are villains that show up like Leffen and heroes like Daigo, you know, that uh, can show up, or, or Takeda, or Takedo, right? Like he showed mm-hmm. up and was on finals and like he's old guard, amazing player, you know? Um, it, it's, <sighs> fighting games are great. Anyways, Evo, awesome. Other video games, though. A lot of other video games have happened, Jake. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, So I've got a couple. The first I want to talk about is one that um, you're probably going to start seeing in like game of the year lists. Um, 
this game came out like earlier this year and I kind of missed it initially. Um, but I really like it. It's called Dave the Diver. And Dave the Diver is basically like take like Reseteer uh, and just make it a, a better compelling package, but with a very similar gameplay loop. Hmm. You play Dave, you dive into the water to get fish and like other items and stuff like that that will support a sushi restaurant where hmm. um, you have a chef that like makes all this stuff and it's basically you assemble a menu. You're playing like the restaurant manager and you assemble a menu based on certain things like you hear about uh, certain clientele that are coming in or it's like, oh, on September 25th, there is a uh, jellyfish festival and make sure you have a bunch of jellyfish, you know, available for people, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Um, and it's like equal parts that managing a business and then like hunting for goods for that business. Um, and that's like it at its core. That's its gameplay loop. But then on top of that, it has so much humor and uniqueness to it. Like there's a lot of like cutscenes in this game that are it's all in this like pixelated graphics, but they get such vibrant energy and hilarity in their like cutscenes. <laughs> um it's it's really, really it has no problem being weird. And I love that. Love it. You know, like um there's several scenes like, you know, when like a critic comes in to try the food or you know, certain things happen and they eat the sushi and they have this, you know, um, you remember the herbal essences commercials from back in the day where <laughs> yeah. these women are like washing their hair, clearly having an orgasm, but it's like, you're not, you're not saying that. And that's like what they're doing here. It's like the same thing. Uh, mm. it's wonderful. It's so good. Um, and it's they like, like uh, food wars. <laughs> it, Did you ever watch dude, that anime? <laughs> No, I haven't. But I, like, I, I watched the like opening uh, episode. Yeah, same thing. Where like they try the <laughs> they try the food, and it's like they they like they're literally coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it, it, Dave the Diver. Like on its surface, is like a very competent um, game, like a Reseteer, like a Moonlighter, but then. There are so many weird curveballs in terms of gameplay. Like I, like I don't want to spoil a bunch, a bunch of them, but there are key moments that happen throughout that feel like, oh, they just designed this fun gameplay moment for this moment, and maybe they use it again later. But it's only useful for this like one time that they're doing it, mm-hmm. and that's that's neat, and I love that. You know, um, I. I do. I, I did hit a point in playing it where I kind of um, have stopped. I've kind of petered out a bit. Um, it does a lot of things to like kind of keep the narrative moving forward, but like it feels like it's overstated its welcome just a little bit at this point. But I still have really, really enjoyed it. Um, definitely worth checking out. Um, Dave the Diver is that one. Nice. That's cool because I I did like Reseteer. I thought it was a cool, yeah, concept. It, yeah, I I I think you should check out Dave the Diver. At least like put it on your wish list, and when you see it like cheap, like pick it up. Like that's something I think you would enjoy. 
Um, so the, it's a, it's a surprising one. I didn't think I had enjoyed as much as I did. Um, same thing with this next game, honestly. Um, and this is something you have some experience with, Jake. Is uh, Remnant Two? Remnant, Remnant, also from Ashes. <laughs> yes, and Remnant from the Ashes. Uh, that game came out several years ago now. Um, it was third person shooter, trying to be like a blood, like a, a Dark Souls, like very difficult kind of game uh, where it does some procedural generation of different maps and layouts of your campaign uh, that gives you know, not only replay value, but just like ways that you can grind to unlock more items and unlock, you know, more skills to make your character stronger. Um, I really, really liked Remnant from the Ashes, the first one. I made you play that game. Um, and we yeah. probably talk, we probably talked about it on the podcast, like really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, so when the second one came out, um, it came out like, literally at like the same time as Baldur's Gate 3. So I was telling myself like, well, I'm going to buy Remnant 2 right when it comes out because I want to support that game. But I'll, it, I probably won't play it right away because Baldur's Gate will, will take my attention away for sure. And to my surprise, at every moment where I had some time to play a game, Remnant 2 was the game that uh, kept drawing me back. Um yeah. It's really solid, man. Like it's it's everything that I really liked about the first game, but it's even better, you know. Um, that- I do, yeah, I do. Like I thought, Remnant one was was fine, um, and two, yeah, it's just it, it, it increases or just it, it kind of tweaks those aspects of it. It kind of refines it, and it's you know not like a whole different game. It's just like Remnant, but just made better it's it's i haven't played it um outside of just like when you and i played together but that co-op experience uh you know going through it the level design and like the bosses we fought too are are great i love it i love the enemy design of dark souls and from games so whenever other games like are able to emulate that pretty well that i think remnant 2 is able to do um i love it yeah, and they're able to do it in a lot of different ways. Like there is a like Victorian like world where you're like, oh, this looks almost like Bloodborne like. And then there's like, you know, weird robot worlds and like plant worlds and shit like that where um it doesn't look anything like a Victorian Bloodborne neo nightmare. Um but they do a good job at like having these very aesthetically different worlds um, work together, you know, in their, Mm -hmm. and their like combat design and and, in a lot of these other things. Um, The game also has like a lot of cool puzzles in it, tons of secrets to um, discover and try to work your way through. I, I will say some of the way that you unlock stuff feels like, how the hell am I going to figure this out? Like, um, there, there, there's a lot of that in the game. Some people really like that stuff. I, I, I'm indifferent to it. Like, I like that other people are into it, but I'm not, I'm never like, um, itching to solve those kind of really esoteric puzzles, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say the payoff for solving a lot of stuff like that ends up being, uh, more character classes, or I think what they call like archetypes in this game, which um, 
you can mix and match two character classes in this game. And there is a lot of different types that you can mix and match together. And they all have different bonded skills, but there's like, you know, a primary class and a secondary class. And you can make a lot of interesting combinations. And even within those class combinations, you're making a lot of choices about the type of skills that you're attaching to your different weapons um, on top of different mutators that like augment the abilities of your weapons. And like, there is a lot of levels of customization that you can get into with your character, not even talking about like the traits that you're building over time, you know, um, mm-hmm. which is like your raw stat increases and stuff. So like there, there's just so much, so many interesting components to remnant two um, that make it intriguing for me to constantly have installed on my machine to play a little bit here and there and then when eventually some DLC comes out or something like that, it just continue to play and just always have in the background. Like I feel like Remnant is the closest thing I'll ever get to like um like a destiny, like a looter shooter type thing. Yeah. Like it's yeah. this is not even like I wouldn't even consider this a looter shooter so much. Um but the type of game that I enjoy playing with friends. And just because I enjoy the shooter loop um, and I enjoy the challenge, but it's not like impossible, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's great. I really, really enjoy running too. Um, um, it's called Sea of Stars. It's like um, take elements of Chrono Trigger and Paper Mario and like um, combine them together um, where art style is very evocative of Chrono Trigger in a lot of ways, but, you know, modernized, but um, evocative of that time period in it's like pixelated style, uh, three player, uh, like three player party, you know, three party members and you're on the combat at once Mm -hmm. Uh, combo moves that work across characters, you know, that similar setup. Um, But the additional part is the, the paper Mario, side of it where you have timed hits so there's some like rhythmic elements to combat both on offense and on defense that really can have um significant differences you know like there are times where it's like oh i'm about to get knocked out but if i time this defense right i save myself for one more turn and maybe i can get a healing off you know to save my character um and the game is difficult enough that um sometimes you do really need to rely on all of that kind of stuff. Every advantage you can get. Um, The story itself is like, it's intriguing, but there are times that I'm scratching my head a little bit about like why characters do certain things. Um, (laughs) But like the world that sets up is very interesting to me. Um, And there have been some twists and turns um, that I, um, not sure it earned, but was like interesting in the moment. Um, I, I I keep playing it, and I'm like, I think I'm like, let's see, I'll look at it right now. I think I'm like thirty hours in, thirty three hours in, um, and I'm feeling like there's maybe ten ten to fifteen left in it, um, okay. which is actually like a pretty decent. Like I'm okay with that size of an RPG for what I'm getting here. Um, I really, really do like it. Um, the music is excellent. I get the, the music is standout 
for sure. Um, I really like the art as well. Um, but yeah, Sea of Stars fucking rocks. Um, I've been I've been seeing people hype this game up for a long time. Like I've been hearing about it because it was a Kickstarter game. It's from the same studio that made the game The Messenger, um, which um, that was like an indie darling from a couple of years ago. And this game technically is in that same universe. So like, I, I, I don't know how much like cross section there is with that game, but like I never... I never played it, so it doesn't matter. Anyways, um, <laughs> I like. I am just glad this game had like actually is delivering because for a long yeah. time I had just seen screenshots and key art that looked incredible, but like didn't know if it would live up to expectations. And I and I'm enjoying it. Like I'll I'll beat this game. You know, like I'll spend the time to beat it. Uh, every year I end up like spinning up like a couple of JRPGs outside of what we play for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never finish them. Like I never do. I finish like one, maybe two a year, maybe, you know? Um, but this is like the one that is like, I'm locked in on. I, I think I, I'm going to make sure I finish it. Um, yeah. See a stars. See a stars. Cool. Um, last but not least for me, um, F zero 99. It's neat. It's really neat. Like, I don't know if either of you have much of a connection to F-Zero for the um, SNES, the very first F-Zero game. Um, I had it for the Game Boy Advanced. Played a little okay. bit. It's always pretty, pretty, uh, the Super Nintendo F-Zero and uh, Mario Kart were always pretty inscrutable to me. I kind of had to go to the N64 where it's like a little... I get a little bit easier to figure out what's exactly going on under the hood. So I never played too much of it. Yeah. Uh, those, those GBA games were pretty good, but um, I, I owned the original F zero. I played it a lot. I, I was never like incredible at the game, but like racing games in general have never really grabbed me except for like, I like futuristic racing games where it's more about like speed reaction time, taking these really tight corners, you know, like I love those um, moments in Mario Kart too, where you really have to like nail your turn to make the perfect, you know, curve. Like that is the core of what F zero is, you know, at times Mm. like Mm -hmm. knowing when to like bank into a turn versus like, take off the gas and do that and then hit the gas at the right moment to like power out of it. Like it's very fun. I really enjoyed this style of racing. Um, but like Nintendo hasn't made an F zero game in a very long time. Yep. Um, and that's been unfortunate. And I like, we will play an F zero game on this podcast. Like very soon, very soon, actually, um, maybe even this year. I don't know what, um, I really, really like F-Zero as, like, a, a series. Um, and this is just such a nice surprise to me. Um, it plays out like a Battle Royale where there are 99 cars dropped on the track. Um, <laughs> these are augmented versions yeah. of these classic tracks um, with the classic music and and the classic visuals. Like, I don't know how much work yeah. they have put into this stuff, but it is the same same looking visuals um sometimes with some new animations but definitely larger scales um to these levels and yeah yeah go ahead 
I absolutely love the take on it with like adding a battle royale element. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have never, never thought that a racing game would kind of work out that way, but it, um, it's a really cool twist. I mean, I played F Zero a little bit on the SNES and a lot on the 64. Yeah. What was that? F Zero X, I think. Yes, F Zero yeah. X. Um, I love that game. Yeah. And this game feels yeah. like it takes a lot of cues from that game in that you Agreed. you have the yeah. spin move, right? Mm-hmm. Like the original right. the yeah. original um, SNES game did not have that spin move. From I am like 99% sure. That game did not have a spin move like this because it really wasn't about um, KOing your opponents. That came as like a mechanic later, kind of like F Zero X, really, because like F Zero X had like uh, a KO mode, like a mode like dedicated yeah. to killing opponents, like doing spin moves and knocking mm-hmm. people out. So like they adapt that into the Super Nintendo version of this game. Um, and it works well. Like if you KO people, um, whether that's you know doing a spin move and knocking them into a wall, blowing them up, knocking them off the track, you know, if you are responsible for them leaving the game, um, you get a boost to your like um, power meter, so you can uh, both take more damage and have more boost. And I think if you get like two KOs, it will replenish your bar completely so there have been times where i am almost dead i go for a ko i get it and then i'm all of a sudden like completely healthy again Hmm. and if you do that on let's say the second to last lap if you're in 15th place all of a sudden you can just boost your way to the front and then you're in the driver's seat you know literally Uh, (laughs) it's uh it's a really, really excellent free game or quote unquote free game if you have like Nintendo's online service. Um, it's really neat. Um, and on top of like the fun gameplay of it, as you play with a certain cart, because they only have four carts in it, the same as the um, SNES version, um, as you play, you unlock new color palettes for your for your uh, car new decals different color like boosters behind you like all sorts of stuff to make your car look different um which like maybe i'm just a sucker for it because i'm so used to seeing those sprites very specific ways for forever but like seeing captain falcon's you know blue falcon cart in like a dope gold is like awesome to me. I don't know why. Like that, like tickles that tickles me in a way um, that I really, really like. Um, mm-hmm. People yeah. should check it out. It, the people should really check it out. F Zero uh, ninety nine is dope. I love that elimination mode in F Zero X. So like the similarity, like that being the game mode for it being like the Super F Zero or whatever the Super Nintendo was. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, and that's not even touching on the mechanic in this that's like uh, when you're behind people and they're bouncing into one another, like doing damage to one another, like these like little sparks come off. And if you collect hmm. enough of them, you get like this bonus where you'll your car will literally jump onto a track above the normal <laughs> track 
and you go faster on there. You'll like there's like little speed pads, and more importantly, there's nothing that will like hurt you up there. So like, let's say you're going into like a death turn and you have no life left. Like, okay, I'm gonna die here if I if like <laughs> if I don't hit this turn perfectly. You use that boost. You go up into this thing. And then it's a it's still a tight turn, but it's way easier and way more forgiving. You won't lose speed like through it, you know. Um, it's really yeah. it's it's very neat. It's very neat. Um, it's a it's a good catch up mechanic. Um, but obviously, if you're in the like the very front of the pack, you're not really seeing those sparks, right? Like you're nobody's getting the crazy boost right at the end unless like you're approaching from like 20th you know maybe mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. getting enough build up from there i don't know it's oh the other thing i'm i know i'm just gushing uh, i'm just gushing no gush away the menu the menu art in just the menus like there's just a little key art that's above like each icon like uh different types of races your your garage to like go um customize your cart that the art they use for that is just so charming to me. It feels like it's pulled directly from like old game manuals. It has like that vibe of it. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I also love that uh, if you crash out in the race, you can turn into a little bomb cart and just like ruin other people's <laughs> times. That is true. You can't. It's really fun. It's like a really fun mini game that will show show up. It's neat. It's really fucking neat. Um, it reminded reminded me of something from uh from Goldeneye. I forgot in the uh, top of the episode, which is uh, as far as I know, that is the first uh, console game with the uh, moving cursor, kind of like you know like Destiny does. Um, and it's the worst UI element ever made. So <laughs> yeah, boo. I, I hate boo Goldeneye cursors. for making that making a virtual cursor. Boo <laughs> virtual cursors. I hate them. <laughs> That's why uh, Perfect Dark is always going to be the better version of Golden Eyes because it has goddamn menus. <laughs> Quality of life. Uh, Jake, that's all the games that I've played. Uh, nice. I have played. I'm. I've played like a few games here and there, a bunch of stuff. I got a Dicey Dungeon that came out on mobile, so I've been playing that. Tony's talked Great about game. it already. Got nothing else really to put on it. Cool game. Nice little roguelike. Um. I've Probably very actually, good for mobile. It's really nice for mobile because it's like, it's a, it's. A sm- I, I've said this before about roguelikes, but it's like smaller because it's not like as um art. It's not as like deck dependent. It's really like most of the game is just these dice rolls. Like you have your own deck that you're building that you're able to, you know, make a run like make a play style you want but the options for that are more limited the synergies are like smaller and less impactful and the runs are shorter but it's still like it's great it's perfect for mobile um good good roguelike um i give it 0.6 slay the spires uh but the other the other games i've been spending most of my time on um, are the two two big RPG releases that have happened between episodes, which are Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield. Um, I'm kind of talking about them a little bit together because there's... I played... So I played Baldur Ga- Baldur's Gate 3 first. Uh, I'll just call it Baldur's Gate. I think we can all assume I'm talking about the third one. 
um i played it at this i played it first and then you know finished it and then started playing starfield actually no i didn't finish it i i was i think like in act three and then starfield came out i kind of like started playing them together and um so because of like that that release that timing they're sort of gonna they have to be linked in my head um and yeah they're lumped together Part of the reason why they're so lumped together is because they're both RPGs, um, and there's aspects <laughs> of Baldur's Gate that I really, really like. Um, that their glaring omission or being done worse in Starfield um, really, really hurts that game's perception. So I've been, you know, I've been talking around it about a bunch. Um, I chatted with Tony uh, about this earlier and like we were chatting about it a bit uh, while we were playing Perfect Dark uh, with Mason as well. Whereas um, I think Starfield kind of bites. Um, it's just, it's, I don't want to be too like, too strong on it because uh, the first Bethesda RPG I played was Oblivion. Um, you know, for the podcast and just like for my own sake, I've played Morrowind um, since then. Um, like the first time I played Morrowind, I didn't love it, but like going with a bit more research and um, a few mods and um, using console commands to cheat just a little bit, um, I really liked playing Morrowind a second time. And um, I just like Oblivion's always going to have like such a special place in my heart, despite the fact that it's uh, got its it's got its issues too. Um, but I love. Uh, Oblivion and like that game compelled me so much that like Bethesda has just kind of like kept being a part of my life since then um and like I just don't know if that's going to be the case much longer because the things they keep emphasizing in their games just like it's not that they're getting worse it's just I've liked every Bethesda game less since Oblivion like I liked Skyrim less than Oblivion I liked Fallout 3 less than Oblivion. I guess I liked, yeah, so no, I liked Fallout 3 less than Oblivion, but I liked Fallout 3 more than Skyrim. I liked Skyrim more than Fallout 4. Uh, I liked Fallout 4 more than Starfield. And it's just like, it's this this trend of just like the games feel like they have less and less personality and they're just more and more trying to be single player looter shooters, which wasn't <laughs> what I liked about Bethesda games. Like I hate, the crafting system in fallout 4 because it's like the way it works is just it's like modularly made weapons like sometimes you'll find like a legendary weapon that has like an effect on it but like that's pretty secondary to just like the bullshit you can mod on to your weapon yourself and it just like it, it makes weapon collecting it makes exploration so much less fun because you're not finding cool stuff around you're just like you're just finding small things like on your way to crafting a better weapon or just like being able to like use these systems to like make something that's not like unique or cool or like broken the same way you could do in oblivion that was like really fucking radical and fun it just feels more restrictive and less customizable like the game worlds be keeping made less and less interesting and the game player and the player character becomes like less and less like interesting because of like i don't know the, the way they're incorporating these systems and it's like i've talked about this like with a perfect dark where it's like it's tough because i i feel like i'm not doing a great di job of like describing this feeling that i have while i'm playing these games but like starfield is just giving me this very 
boring, bland. It is there because you're kind of like, I don't know, just almost doing like these MMO quests by yourself. And it's just like, I have all these like notes about Starfield. I took more notes on Starfield than I did for any other game I played, even even Perfect Dark, which is like the actual episode. Because there's just like so much stuff that is frustrating. And then I compare it to Baldur's Gate 3, which is like in some way a much smaller game. Because, like, think game map size. Like, you can walk from one end of the map in Baldur's Gate 3 to the other end in, like, two minutes. (laughs) And there's, like, ten maps like that in the entire game. Like, it's a much smaller game. But, like, everything has stuff going on. Stuff that's linked together is done so in this very, like, deep and rewarding way. And it gives the player a lot of ways to kind of mess with the sequence or just, like, change stuff. Like, um... Something that a lot of people talk about with Bethesda RPGs and, like, what makes them not great is that there are unkillable NPCs, like, people that are, like, quest givers that you can't kill. And, like, Baldur's Gate 3, pretty much, with a few exceptions, lets you kill everybody. And I forget, or, like, I didn't realize how much, like, I loved that and how cool that is in certain um, situations and how much of a, like hindrance it can be when it's not one um I'm, I'm sorry i've been jumping all over and just like i think talking unbroken for like 10 minutes but this is the last part and then i'll let other people speak if they have questions or comments but like the the emblem of what made starfield um disappointing for me and the moment when i stopped was i went on uh the subquest line i forget what the industry is but it's like ryzen industries um and it's kind of like almost like the dark brotherhood of Starfield where it's sort of like the morally corrupt, um, like, you know, use stealth and like subterfuge and like do this so like your company can get ahead. And the way I wanted to role play this is like, my character doesn't love this, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to like play along until I find the opportunity that like, I'll be able to make myself CEO of this company. And then, you know, from there we'll see what the game allows. So like I'm going along with this quest line and like all these quests are just really disappointing and like not interesting, you know, run here, do this, run back, or literally just run here, talk to somebody, then like go right back on the elevator and talk to me again. And that quest design is so boring and so uninspiring, especially compared to Baldur's Gate 3. But I go through all this and I get to the point where it's like, all right, now I have maneuvered it that the Mets current CEO has been framed and is like, you know, her position's in jeopardy and like all this stuff's happening and like I gotta convince the members of the board to vote her out. I'm like, cool, like I want them to vote me in or whatever, but that's not an option. So I was like, all right, maybe that's later on in the quest line. I'll just like support this one other person instead. So I do that, I get to the end of the quest line, I do that. I make her the CEO, and then she's like, okay, great. All the quests are now procedurally generated. You get them from a kiosk, and, like, maybe I'll give you a quest here or there. No way of, like, me usurping control. So it's like, all right, there are ways for me to do this. I have a gun. I'll just violently take over this corporation. It's like a role-play thing. But every single one of the NPCs has that important flag, and they can't be killed. So it's just like, I did this boring quest line for hours because I was like, you know, whatever in uh, Skyrim you become archmage of the the mages guild in like 10 quests so I was like oh I'll become CEO in like 10 quests kind of like assuming that and it just it, it just it was this really restrictive 
more linear quest design that was not engaging and didn't give me interesting roleplay opportunities or character options or character roleplay options and I got to the end of that quest line and I, I haven't booted up Starfield since then. It's just it's just like I I'm bored. I'm done. It it feels like in a year where um uh Baldur's Gate three doesn't come out, maybe Starfield looks better. But mm-hmm. like yeah, like it seems like or no, it it is a fact that the things that you do in Baldur's Gate feel more consequential than any of the things you do in Starfield, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's what people are looking for in that type of open world experience now, you know? Like, there are games that offer you these just massive, unexplored depths to go into, but, like, that could be something like a No Man's Sky Or even, Mm -hmm. like, think about what is offered by something like a Minecraft server that you can just keep re-rolling, you know? Like, the the infinite discovery that you can do within stuff like that that is, like, emergent storytelling. And, like, from everything that you say and from everything that I've experienced in Bethesda RPGs, it just never feels... I, I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel enough... I don't know. It just is not like consequences or repercussions. Yeah. In the same way. Yeah. And I feel like that's a hallmark of Larian's stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they love that. Like, yeah. oh, you can totally ruin the game yeah. by accidentally axing someone. <gasps> and it's like not even like ruin it. I don't know. It like makes me appreciate right, um, right, yeah. Vegas more and in hindsight too cuz New Vegas takes those systems and lets you be a bit more free with it. And again, I don't want to be unfair to Starfield cuz it's an entirely different game than Baldur's Gate 3. Um but again, it's just like Bethesda's emphasizing the wrong the wrong things. It, I I felt like a crazy, you know, godlike maniac uh, in oblivion and like what you can make your character into and like what the world like feels like in response to it is more impactful is becoming less impactful in, in oblivion games i guess like or in, in uh, bethesda games i don't do the like outpost building stuff either because that just seems so unfun to me um and i know that's kind of where that new Kind of, uh, that, that 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 new focus is is Bethesda wants you to like make your settlements, make your outposts, and kind of becoming more like No Man's Sky. But I don't know. It, it, Starfield, the characterization, uh, dialogue, uh, quest design, actual quests, like it's it's meh. Um, it's pretty meh. I don't know if I'll I'll I don't know if I'll play it again. Um, to be honest, like I would just play Fallout 4 again if I want to play play that game because I don't get anything from the space. Like there's some cool space stuff to it, but like if I want cool space navigation, I'll just play Outer Worlds because um, that game is really fun to to navigate. Bethesda isn't or Starfield isn't fun to navigate. Um, yeah, it's any everything this game does. Uh, other games do better. Um, I. I'm 
I'm now completely like out of interest for whatever they make the Elder Scrolls uh, Seven into, what? or no Elder way. Scrolls Six into. Like no. I don't like. They are going to have to, like. I was so I didn't really give two two shits about Starfield, um, and I don't know. It's just like it's just the 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 step from Oblivion to Skyrim was like not great. Didn't love it. And everything between Skyrim and now has been worse. And it's just like if they keep it's it's not it's not confidence inspiring. Anyway, I don't know. I'm gonna stop talking about Starfield because I want to talk about how great Baldur's Gate Three is. That game is so fucking good. That um, game is really good. <laughs> it's I kind of to this to this point. I think um and to your point actually, sorry Tony of if. Baldur's Gate 3 didn't come out this year. Starfield might have gotten a better reception for myself included. Like, I haven't played those older RPGs so much where you can be impactful. Like, those initial Baldur's Gates where, um, you know, you can't rely on waypoints as much as you do in, in Bethesda games and whatnot. You have to you have to engage with it more. And, like, that was tougher for me because I'm a very autopilot gamer a lot of times. Um, like, especially when you get to the city of Baldur's Gate, because that's Act 3, and, like, you're in this city that's, like, so dense with NPCs and, like, quest potential that it was very overwhelming for me. Um, so, actually, like, Starfield came out when I got to Act 3, so it was, like, a good break that I got to go to a um, bad game that has no idea how to write people or uh, shoot dialogue scenes into, like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, great, yeah, uh, Baldur's Gate. Actually, I do, I do appreciate... Um, I do appreciate it, and I appreciate this complexity that is sort of impenetrable at some times, um, but it rewards you. It rewards you for paying attention. Starfield doesn't reward you for paying attention. It punishes you, and it punishes you for wanting anything out of the game, um, which sucks. It feels restrictive, and Baldur's Gate 3 feels empowering. And um, I also didn't realize how nice it is to be able to respec your character at, at any time. Because one of the reasons why I am never going to boot up Starfield again, likely will not boot up Starfield again, is because, like, I didn't waste my experience points necessarily. Like, I'm level 20 or so, and, like, I already feel overpowered. But it's, like, you need to put in the time, like, for uh, progression, so you have, like, experience in Starfield. But if you want to, like, put another point into, like, pistols and, like, make your pistols better, you have to, like, do a sub-quest. So it's like uh, kill ten people with a pistol, and then you can go from like spend spend a skill point to go from two to three in it. So there's a little bit of that Bethesda, you know, you do the skill to get better at it, or sorry, like a little bit of the Elder Scroll, you do a skill to better get better at it, but still just like normal XP growth. But then you can't just respec a character. So if you waste skill point, or if you waste multiple skill points going down a path that ends up being sort of useless, that's hours to re-roll a new character, to get down this line some way whatsoever. And I played like six different builds in my run through of Baldur's Gate 3 because it costs 100 gold to respec a character and that's like no cost whatsoever. And I loved it. It was so fun to try a bunch of different characters. And the cost to do that in a Starfield ain't worth it. Yeah, and like... I'm sure the amount of variability from the start of a Baldur's Gate 3 game to a Starfield game is, like, insane, right? Because, like, Baldur's Gate 3, within, I don't know, 
30, 40 minutes, you can be on a completely different, like major characters just could be out of your party or dead, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like crazy shit could happen, which I have no idea if that's ever going to be the case with Starfield, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't care to either. (laughs) Plus, plus like the multiplayer of Baldur's Gate three is what I have heard a lot of people doing together and like engaging with that game you know like oh my D group is playing this together or like my friend group that doesn't play D, but like is intrigued is trying this stuff out together you know like i hear that a lot which mm-hmm. is great you know like i'm not hearing that about starfield or really many other uh big multiplayer games this year you know um there's a lot of like small groups enjoying the game together and, and that's only going to get bigger and better as they put out you know what you would expect of like dlc potential mod support stuff you know it'll be pretty crazy um for that game like the future is very bright for Baldur's gate um and i'm sure with starfield as well you know mod support for bethesda games is pretty legendary so um i bet that I game would- also has a bright future it does. I have it on on Game Pass though, and uh, you can't, as far as I know, you can't mod on on Game Pass, um, which uh, is unfortunate because I would love to to do things to change this game. Gotcha. <laughs> but I do not want to pay for it, so. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I have so much more to say about Baldur's Gate Three. Um, it's just it's really, it's a really cool game. It is very, I don't know. Like I, I, it makes me want to try more uh, CRPGs like that. Like maybe try playing Baldur's Gate 2 or um, right. put some more time into the, the Dragon Age games uh, or Divinity. Divinity. Yeah. yeah, I do have Divinity as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's super neat. And I think it's, it's really inspiring to see um the reception of it too because it's a it's a dense game it's a uh difficult it's a difficult game and uh i bounced off divinity like i have divinity original sin 2 um and i've i've tried to start that game like three or four times i usually bounce off because i get like i don't like menu fatigue or just like there's so much going on with the systems and the items and the bonuses and like you know working on synergies and whatnot that being able to work off 5e which is already a system that like i've played with a few times like i've played some dungeons and dragons campaigns going off that familiarity already um and then just kind of being able to jump into the game and you know be in this world um it's cool it's a cool world i like i like how powerful it makes the player not mechanically but like you know just in that it gives you autonomy and the power to do stuff. And if you actually yeah. want to be powerful, a little, little tip for me to you, uh, go for the uh, monk rogue multi-class build with the uh, tavern brawler feat. Get a, get throughout like five attacks a turn and they all do stupid damage. Um, it's pretty cool. Pretty fun game. Very fun cool. game. Look at you giving out tips and tricks. <laughs> Oh, and a uh, tip for Starfield, uh, uninstall. 
Oh <laughs> shit! <laughs> now, if you like, if you like the the base building in Fallout, if Fallout Four was uh, was your jam, Starfield is going to be more of that. I like the space aesthetic is neat. I wish it was a bit more built out, but like I also understand that trying to do like in like slower than light speed, like flying from planet to planet, would be like an absolute nightmare to try to implement in a game that large. So it's like. I don't know. I have sympathy for Bethesda and what they made, but um, it's not for me. We heard here first, folks. Jake doesn't like video games. I hate all video games. <laughs> Todd, um, you did. Todd Howard took away my passion for video games. What happened? <laughs> um, Mason, do you have any uh, game recos? Like, what are you playing right now? That yeah, you want to talk about? Uh, I actually just rolled credits on um, Armored Core 6. Ooh. Uh, yeah, it'll probably be like the first From game that I really go back into. Uh, it just, it kind of married the design principles of From games into like this fast-paced kind of uh, acrobatic third-person shooter. Um. Yeah, I don't have enough good things to say about it. Uh, the customization, the kind of building out of your mech, it's a it's a blast. Um, I have yet to play any online stuff, but I'm quite curious how like the PvP will play out because I believe it's like three versus three. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it is. But yeah, it seems a uh, yeah, it's one of those like perfect kind of encapsulations of a from game and you can pause whoa you can pause it oh shit <laughs> yeah I, I, i'm step away i'm glad you brought this up because like i really want to play that game next like honestly um after i finish sea of stars i i keep like putting off playing Baldur's gate but i think it's because like i know that game is great and i just want like it, that game i can always go back to but there's something about mm-hmm. Armored Core that's that's calling to me right now. I, like any time, like a a mecha game is like right. making waves in any way. I'm like, I kind of have to try it. Gotta do it. It kind of reminds me of like the like a, like SNES kind of side scrollers too. Mm. Um, just in the way that like the missions and such are short. Um, kind of like a regular enemies and then a boss at the end usually but not always yeah um and they do have like decision points in the game so it kind of rewards you for playing through at different times because there are like factions that you can support or go against um that will impact the outcome of the game that's cool yeah yeah, and I know um, there's what is the the moon something sword is in that game like one of the like classic from soft weapons, and it's yeah. like I am always down for how Armored Core does like melee weapons for mechs, Cause, right? Because you can always yeah. make the argument that these mechs are just like they should just be like walking tanks. Like why would they have melee weapons? And it's like mm-hmm. well. It's cool, damn it. Um, so <laughs> right. I'm glad that they have a dope sword in that game. 
Yeah, sword shields. Um, the level of like kind of customization is is pretty great. Um, I did the like I don't know cheap build where I just kind of ran through with. I wanted to beat it in a bipedal only, like bipedal the whole way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just played like a mid uh, weight mech and rocked shotguns and uh, missile launchers. That was Ooh. my loadout of choice. Um, yeah. But I will definitely be going back and playing like a melee only build or like energy weapons only. So that's what I'm thinking about doing. Um, the times I've played armor core in the past, I've done mainly energy weapons in melee, like, or usually a combination of both, like an energy rifle plus a, uh, sword, usually not an energy sword. I would go like big cheap sword. Cause the energy weapons are mm-hmm. so fucking expensive. Um, <laughs> yep. but, um, yeah, I, I'm very excited to play that game. Very, very excited. Yeah, there's some really great moments, like typical of all from games, I'd say. But uh, the the end game and the last couple missions leading up to it were particularly good and just showing like the scale of their level design, even though it's like a very, like I said, kind of side scrolly track um, linear game, at least in the levels. Uh, there's a lot there. This year has been insane for video games. I'll tell you what. It's just yeah. absolutely insane. For sure. There's been so many good games. Um, really the last three years. Yeah, I mean, the last two years. The last two years specifically. Been just a ton of incredible video games. Um, yeah. Anything else? Any, any other games folks want to talk about? Nah, nah. I got... The next game I want to tell you about, though. Ooh, what are we playing <laughs> next, Jake? Well, next game, you know, things are getting a little, a little spooky this time of year, right, Tony? Spooky. So, <laughs> you know, to play a little bit of a, a spooky game, yeah, Tony like and I game? are gonna play Luigi's Mansion. Oh, wait, didn't we already do Luigi's Mansion? Did we already do? Oh my god! We already did the Ouija's Mansion. (laughs) Oh, I got such a bad case of amnesia. The Dark Descent. (laughs) Oh my god! This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) So, the Dark Descent for the spooky game. This year on Hair Like That Game, we are going to be playing Amnesia The Dark Descent. <laughs> that was worth it. That was Did you like that? It. Did you like that, Tony? <laughs> it was all right. You know, <laughs> hindsight 2020, I did like that. Quite a bit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Am- I mean, so that's- this is Amnesia is first person, very scary game, right? Yes, yes. This was. This was a core game that like went viral back when it went out. I think because of PewDiePie, didn't he do like a, oh, this game's so scary, scream while playing it sort of thing. Like, well, Let's Plays were huge. And then like this game kind of popped off and almost like started the trend of first person 
vulnerable character puzzle games um that like went on for that went on for a while i'm i mean my history and like you know cause and effect might be a little a little off but like that's kind of how i remember this game and i picked it up as part of a humble bundle a while ago and played the first five minutes of it before noping out very hard um but now we're noping in (laughs) now we're We're noping noping in because things are spooky (laughs) we are noping right in all right i'm excited for this amnesia the dark descent i'm gonna be very uncomfortable this whole time oh yeah it'd be great (laughs) do it for you viewers (laughs) yeah um, and Mason. <laughs> yeah, I, Specifically for you. I can't Mason. handle that stuff. I'll probably uh, pass out. <laughs> uh, speaking of almost passing out, Jake, uh, we have charity stream news. We do. Um, we. Uh, I am 95% sure we are going to be doing the Hey, I Like That Game uh, charity stream fourth fourth annual right fourth yes. annual uh hey i like that charity stream november 18th through 19th that's right yes. right i got that right yeah yeah that's that's our uh most likely date i will be doing it we'll uh, 100% be doing a charity stream uh but not a 100% on that specific date yet but um pretty sure most most likely so lock lock it in your calendars uh november 18th uh, Pacific Standard Time at noon. We'll be starting, going till noon the very next day, raising some more money for NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Yes. Um, we'll have the um, like charity stream page updated soon with all the different like uh, awards and like giveaways, goals, things you can can donate to, all of that fun stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good lineup this year, Jake. I, this is going to be a really fun one. Yeah, like, yeah. Like you were I, saying, like a lot of fun games came out. A lot of fun games we get to play. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually I'm very excited for the um, the next podcast game that we're going to play on that one. It's going to be um, very fun. Very excited mm-hmm. about that one. Um, anywho, yes. And then um, everybody, we will uh, we'll post that uh, that date probably on on twitter uh tony and i were talking about before our our uh social media uh presence is probably gonna change not much because we don't have much of a presence but i think that's kind of <laughs> <laughs> we're both just sort of a uh, dunzo uh with the social media game so i might be uh handing over the um uh, Twitter profile to to my wife or a, a friend or something like that who will be uh, tweeting and like updating everybody on that uh, charity stream on our behalf. But um, Tony and I were just a couple of grumpy old men who don't want to be on social media. No, I don't even do my own social media. Yeah, I don't want anybody to know about me. I just don't. I just don't <laughs> have the energy. It's a lot. It's a lot of energy. I give it all for the podcast, Jake. It's all here. Blood, sweat, and tears are in every one of these recordings. I've been bleeding this whole time, Tony. <laughs> That's you know what? That actually makes sense. Uh, low energy for the past thirty minutes or so. You should probably um, yeah. Something. I'm still sweating about how heated I was talking about Starfield. <laughs> <laughs> you should probably eat something. Have a have a uh, glass of orange juice. Really these situations. <laughs> But yeah, well, that's what we're doing. We're just uh, 
focusing on the charity stream on some video games. Um, but yeah, we want to bring along that that passion to this charity stream uh, in a few months. But between now and then, you'll be able to hear our episode on Amnesia: The Dark Descent for hey, like that spooky game. Yes. Uh, I think it's everything. Anything else? Me alls. Mason, any plugs? Plugs, hugs, plugs, and uh, I'm on Blue Sky Neuro Nonsense, and my website is neuronoise.net. Um, I might update it at some point. I don't know. That's yeah, a good. Yeah. That's a good URL. Maybe. Get some bleeps. <laughs> get some bleeps and bloops up on that website. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, not yet. I'm still uh, still cooking those beats. <laughs> in the kitchen. Yeah. Well, Mason, thank you so much but, for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for suggesting this game too. It was uh, real fun to revisit with with friends. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you both so much. I'm a you know first time listener or long time listener, first time caller. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, great to chop it up with you both yeah, and yeah. talk about this game because yeah, it's a. Uh, it holds this us to time, I think. Agreed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thanks so much, guys. It's been a pleasure. For sure. Uh, well, as always, Jake, live life passionately. Love each other unconditionally. And play a video games. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, If you like the show, please give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. You know, every little bit helps. Hashtag propagate the pod. Last 45 minutes has been cut out. <laughs> Dude, we've been recording for an hour and 13. I've got 15 oh minutes God. of usable stuff here. Um, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. <laughs> kidding. <laughs>